Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. So did you see the post that I made in the Scott Bakula fan club the other day? No, I think I missed it. Okay, so I posted it in our Facebook page and in our group. It okay. was the meme of Trump stepping into the Oval oh. Office and shutting the door. Yes, okay, okay, I did see that. Okay, so if you're listening, if you haven't heard it, so so it's a some, it was a tweet that someone made. Uh, Trump steps into the Oval Office, closes the door. He's alone. You hear a whoosh from off camera. And Trump says, Al, why haven't I leaped yet? And Al says, stick at it, Sam. Ziggy says there's a 95% chance you're here to get this guy impeached. <laughs> and Sam Trump says, what more could I possibly do? Yeah, yeah. And that's the joke. Uh, yeah. it, it, it blew up. It went viral. Uh, what's funny is I just saw the picture shared. I think someone shared it on my wall. I can't remember how I originally saw it. I think someone tagged me on Facebook. That's how I saw it. Um, and so I went and actually checked it out on Twitter. And uh, in response to it going viral, the author said, I hear you, Twitter. From now on, I'm only making quantum leap related jokes. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I posted it in a number of the groups that we post our podcast to. And uh, for the most part, it, it just got laughs, responses, you know, thumbs up, heart, smiley face. Right. In uh, one group, one guy gave it an angry face. And the Scott Bakula fan club, it it blew up. Oh, God. Because apparently the Venn diagram of Scott Bakula fans... <laughs> And diehard Trump supporters crosses over quite a bit more than what I would like to imagine. I blame it on NCIS. You're probably right. <laughs> and uh, and so the thing is, like, like someone, like the first comment she said, uh, and I think I texted a snippet of this to you. Uh, the first comment she said was, "Why the why didn't this happen to Obama?" Oh, oh my and, god! And so, trying to make a joke, trying to find some common ground, I, I cracked that Obama was clearly the evil leaper, and Biden was his hologram. Oh god! Um, and, and we, you know, we, we had a joke, we had good common ground on that. But then it blew up from that. Uh, it went from, you know, the 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 typical leave politics out of this group, blah blah blah. Oh god! To some conservatives fighting with each other over who was worse, Bush or Trump. Oh, God. Then some other people chimed in. Someone unsolicited gave the opinion that uh, this is the problem with you uh, liberals. Somehow we got to Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Oh, God. And I was contributing very little to this. And finally, it, it petered out. But it went for for about 48 hours. It was going pretty strong. Yeah. And I think the lesson that we learned from this is I think there's a good reason why Scott Bakula talks very little about his personal views. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, because I think that there's definitely a spectrum mm-hmm. when it comes to anyone who has that celebrity status and those that... And there's like spectrums within spectrums, you know, but it's it's those that will talk about their views and those that choose not to talk about their views, mm-hmm. you know, those that are kind of a little bit more cagey, but let on a little bit. Um, 
Today, I watched a, a wonderful interview uh, between George Saunders, the author, was interviewing Jeff Tweedy, the musician um, and lead singer of Wilco, and he's got a new autobiography out, and uh, he also has a new solo album out. Um, and of course, being a Chicagoan, like Jeff Tweedy, kind of means a little bit more than you know if I was living in Nebraska and happened to like Wilco, mm. uh, or maybe not. Actually, maybe that kid in Nebraska needs Wilco. But anyway. <laughs> um, he, you know, neither one of those guys as artists shy away from talking about politics and, and, and the current uh, administration, um, but they do it in, in a very intelligent and eloquent fashion that goes far beyond, you know, I hate this guy and he should be impeached and really kind of, I think, strives more to get at the root of, of the issue of like, how did this happen mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, fuck that guy. Um, which I really appreciate, uh, and, and, and coming from both of them, they're always talking, uh, from a very empathetic point of view as well, which I, I can really appreciate, you know, and Jeff Tweedy even talks a little bit about how his hometown, um, you know, small Illinois town, it actually kind of made me think of what you've talked about when you talk about your hometown, uh, but, you know, talked about how that demographic in particular was, was definitely one that was probably made up of a lot of Trump voters, um, but that being that it was his hometown and coming from that place and knowing, you know, just the, the economic conditions um, and, and the way that people have, have certainly suffered in spite of their, you know, frankly, their white privilege uh, is something that he could easily empathize with. Um, and, and so, you know, he does his best to understand where they're coming from, even if he can't necessarily agree with the choices that they end up making. And they talk a lot about how, um, you know, fear, uh, and being a victim got like weaponized during the last election. And, uh, it's, it's really, it's really quite brilliant. The funny thing is, is that the interview was actually done for uh, GQ, I think of all places. Oh, wow. Okay. So you have George Saunders, who's this, you know, brilliant author who, who received a lot of acclaim for his last novel, Lincoln and the Bardot. Um, and, and Jeff Tweedy, who is, is, you know, a passionate, intelligent, artistic musician. Um, just having this really great discussion about music and art and, and family. Um, and of course, you know, touching a little bit on, on politics and, our society today. It was, it's really, really interesting. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad that you can't have fun with something like that meme, which is, which is very funny. Um, but I guess in some ways, maybe the counterpoint to that is trying to, when people say that's the problem with you liberals or something like that is maybe trying to point to things like this that are also like saying like, okay, but what about this? But then of course you get into that whole thing where, you know, people think that, liberals think they're like intellectually elite and anyone who's not is just a, you know, a dummy. And I, you know, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. I, I think that there are a lot of people who are figureheads on the other side that are definitely dumb. I'm sorry, but they are, they're just stupid people. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I have no problem saying that. either that, either that, or they just think that everyone else is so stupid that mm-hmm. they, that they think by, you know, parading around some sort of ignorance that they can attract people, which is also sad and pathetic. But anyway, absolutely. And it's the thing it's, it's, you know, I posted it in those groups. I knew that may get a little bit of a reaction. And sure. the first one, like I was, we were actually able to crack a joke. Right. About the evil leaper. And then later on in her argument with another conservative, 
she used the evil leaper analogy as a jumping off point. Oh man! To compare, I think I might have seen yeah, a little yeah, bit of this. Yeah, to compare Bush and Trump, and I'm like, but then there were other people that got so angry, and I'm like, if if a stupid me makes you this angry, right? There is there is something weighing on your mind, like some you're angry about a, other things on a deep. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're angry. Yes, you're angry about a lot. But yeah. anyway, we're not here to talk about Trump or liberal politics this week. No, but with as much as we do it, we could make a whole sub podcast of all of oh, our digressions. God. That's that's <laughs> that's our next one. Uh, um, but we're here to talk about hurricane. That's right, hurricane. Um, lots, you know, I. I I want to say I have a lot to say about this, but honestly, I can see this episode perhaps being one of our shorter ones, because even though I feel like I have a lot to say, I don't necessarily know that I have a lot deep to say, Sure, if that makes sense. Um, but Hurricane is directed by Michael Watkins. Um, this is, uh, I believe, his third of six, I want to say. Um, he also directed a Little Miracle, Last Dance Before Execution. He'll go on to do Unchained, Song for the Soul, and Killin' Time, um, which will be his final one. Killin' Time will be an interesting one for us to talk about. Um, I started doing something a little bit different with the directors and the writers this time around because we always pay attention to the actors, but we rarely talk about, um, the, you know, sort of the post-Quantum Leap lives of the directors and the writers, uh, or, or their outside work, um... But Michael Watkins would go on to direct uh, a few episodes of Lois and Clark, uh, Chicago Hope, Millennium, did a couple of episodes of The X-Files. Um, I thought this was funny because of Lois and Clark. He also did a few episodes of Smallville, um, so he mm. lived in that world a couple of times. Uh, Monk, uh, Justified, he actually did uh, quite a few episodes of Justified. Uh, most recently he directed an episode of Grey's Anatomy from uh, either this season or just the last season because it aired in 2018. Um Written by Chris Rupenthal, it's a name that we've talked about quite a few times, because this is the seventh of ten episodes that he will do. Uh, of course, his first was Good Morning Peoria. He also did Freedom, Glitter Rock, and he'll go on to do Curse of Tahotep, among others. Um, post-Quantum Leap, he directed an episode of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which is a sadly uh-huh. short-lived television show. Yes. Uh, he would also do some X-Files um, and some Lois and Clark which I thought was some interesting crossover. Uh, and, and those two shows in particular get mentioned quite a few times as we go on on our crusade through IMDb with this particular episode, um, which made me think about all of the, the ways that, you know, artists, when they work together a few times, they, mm-hmm. they like to continue to do so. Sure. Um, and, and oftentimes it's, you know, it's as easy as saying like, oh, this guy wrote an episode of blah, blah, blah. This guy should direct it. And then, oh, I know these guys. Let's bring them aboard, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would also write a couple of episodes of The Pretender. Uh, our air date is October the 2nd, 1991. Uh, leap date is August 17th, 1969. Sam is left into Sheriff's Deputy Archie Nikhazy, and our location is Jackson Point, Mississippi. And we are in the throes of Hurricane Camille. Yes. Tippy guy description. Sam storms into a Gulf Coast deputy <laughs> sheriff and feels waves of passion for his girlfriend, a nurse who's in danger as 1969's Hurricane Camille begins to brew. Man. Just all sorts of puns. The puns were on point. Uh, let's talk about, <laughs> uh, as we've started doing recently, what this was called in other countries. Germany takes the cake, man. Uh, yes, Germany was Storm of Passion. 
Uh, and then France or Italy, Matt Dale in his book, he just wrote what they were. I'm not even going to try to pronounce I, those words. Uh, yeah, they're, they're French and Italian for hurricane. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then that's pretty simple. Right. Uh, do you have any childhood memories of this? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because the episode, in some ways, I think the, the party scene um, at the beginning uh, and the one at the end where he shoots the gun off always stuck out in my mind quite a bit. Just sort of the image of Sam running around in the sheriff's deputy outfit, you know, while the rain and the wind is blowing, like that was something that, that definitely stuck with me. And honestly, I always hate to say this, but the stock footage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to me, I remember uh, the party scenes. In particular, mm. the moment where the the one drunk party goer, he makes it like, if I, if I look at you through this eye, you look this way. If oh, I look yeah. at you through this eye, I look this way. Yep. Uh, I remembered that, um, the stock footage, yeah. and the the climactic scene. The climactic scene. You know, it's funny because I didn't remember that one as much. What I did remember, in addition to what you were saying about the black hair, brown hair thing, uh, is when Lisa goes up to him at the very beginning and says, uh, it looks like you have a bit of green in your eyes. I remember that, too, oddly enough. That just that kind of stuck out. Um but I, yeah, for some reason, and I'm, and I'm, I, I'm kind of embarrassed almost to say this, but I had almost completely forgotten about the Lisa thing uh, until a little over halfway through the episode. Um, uh, I was sitting there, you know, thinking to myself, oh man, Joe, that son of a bitch, like, what does he do to her? I can't remember, I can't remember. And then all of a sudden when Lisa comes back in, like... You know, about halfway through the episode, I was like, oh, right. Uh, see, now I remember. What's funny is that I remembered the Lisa bit very clearly. I had completely forgotten about Joe. Okay. Um, and I went into this episode not really looking forward to watching it because to me, it's, it, it, to me, I think we, I mentioned it last week on Play Ball. Uh, it, it was just a, a stock footage palooza. Sure. But by the end of rewatching the episode today, I got it. I yeah. got what this episode was. And I'll reveal that as we go here. And it, it made me appreciate it because I realize it's a genre episode. Sure. And I'll talk about what the genre is when we get there. All right. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's it, it's an interesting episode. It feels very... Um, because I think I, I I don't know specifically, but I think I get where you're you, where you might be going when you talk about the genre episode. That said, it also feels very complete in that it doesn't necessarily like come right almost in the way that play ball didn't necessarily feel like a baseball episode. This doesn't necessarily feel like a hurricane episode or even like a fatal attraction episode. Like it, it feels a little bit more rounded than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the stakes obviously are fairly high throughout the whole thing. I think the tension of the storm in the background is used very, very well. Um, because the, you know, the fascinating thing to me about this is if you took the storm out of this episode, the episode could still play. Not well. No. But, but not much would necessarily have to change about the script. I mean, obviously, any references to the storm. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, he's a sheriff's deputy getting called to a loud party. You know, there's this birthday party for this elderly woman and her family, and they're all over at somebody's house for this party. 
There's a, you know, there's this new romance, there's the spurned lovers, there's the, you know, I mean, all of the, the, the basic elements of the episode could exist without the hurricane. But when you throw that element in, it takes on an, an entirely different life and one that is filled with tension and, uh, you know, higher stakes and feels just much more complete and, and less domestic Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, kind of a lot of the rest of the stuff that happens within the episode kind of feels a little, you know, soap opera-ish, albeit over the top, yes, but but, mm-hmm. but also kind of domestic in a way. Yeah. And I really, what what bugs me about Playball that I couldn't articulate last week, and after watching this episode I can't, is that there's no style to Playball. Sure. Like, I there's see that. no, and maybe it's because I've never actually seen Bull Durham. And I don't know, like, how much it was trying to emulate that. But, like, to me, like, where Hurricane, like I said, it kind of leans into a genre, whereas Play Ball was just there. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, for me, the thing that I'm still attracted to about Play Ball is that it, it feels a very strong character piece. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels much more plot-driven. That's not to say that the characters aren't important, they're not well-rounded, mm-hmm. but but I, I get what you're saying about play ball, absolutely. But I think I'm attracted to, you know, the, the, the sort of character piece quality to it and the relationships, you know, um, especially between, you know, the pitcher and his father and, and Sam and, and the way that he fits in between those two specifically. Um, but I, I, I do get what you're saying, and, and, and me saying that this feels more plot-driven, less character-driven is not a knock on it at all. It sure. just is a different quality of episode. For sure. Um, Before we dive into the episode, I, sh- uh, I should say that uh, Cheryl Mins on Facebook, uh, I don't know if she's a listener of our show, uh, we kind of became allies uh, via the Trump meme mentioned earlier. <laughs> uh, but she did comment on one of my posts in one of the groups that she had read somewhere that uh, either Scott Bakula had recently hurt his back, or if he hadn't hurt his back, like he was suffering, oh, yeah. he was suffering back pain during the shooting of play ball. And so she always felt like you could tell by the fact that Scott Bakula was kind of phoning in his performance in that episode. And that's why the episode never worked for her. Um, but yeah, I, I had read that. I don't think it's a Matt's book. So I just thought that was a interesting aside. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. And, and, and the, the, the one scene specifically that I would point to would be the, the, the scene with the pitcher's dad. Um, you know, I think that he's, that he's just spot on. In, sure. that, in that particular scene, and also when he takes himself out of the game, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, that's that. I, I, hey, that's that's an opinion. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that away from from anybody. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you know, before we get too too deep into the episode, uh, I, I felt like uh, just just for a little historical context, um, Hurricane Camille. Uh, at the time of it hitting landfall in the United States, it was the second most powerful um, hurricane in, in United States history. Um, the hurricane flattened nearly everything along the coast of the uh, state of Mississippi and caused additional flooding and deaths inland while crossing the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. It killed um, 259 people. I know Al has the line later, about 300 or something like that, but, but in any reading that I did, it, said it was 259 was the confirmed number. Uh, caused about $1.5 billion in damages, uh, which is the equivalent to about $9.5 billion in today's money. Um, the uh, 1935 hurricane um, 
was the most devastating, still the most devastating uh, hurricane to ever make landfall in the U.S. And since um, Camille, we also had Andrew, Michael, uh, and of course Katrina, which were all, um, you know, fairly devastating, and even more so than Camille. Um, in fact, Camille and Katrina get uh, compared quite a bit, just because of the the nature uh, of the damages that they did, if not necessarily hitting the same uh, same areas. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting, and this is somewhat jumping ahead, but I do feel like it's worth noting, is that. Uh, the hurricane party apparently in this episode was based on a real story from Hurricane Camille that took place at the Richelieu Manor Apartments in Past Christian, Mississippi, on the night of August 17, 1969, where 23 people were said to have perished when the storm obliterated the three-story complex after making landfall. When Walter Cronkite was on the Gulf Coast shortly after Camille struck, he paused in front of a concrete slab, all that was left of the complex, and said, this is the site of the Richelieu Apartments in Past Christian, Mississippi. This is the place where 23 people laughed in the face of death and where 23 people died. There's only one problem with that story. There was no party, the entire hurricane party was fictional, and the site of the Richelieu Manor Apartments, Henderson Avenue at US 90, would become a shopping center after this, and apparently no one actually died there. Uh, however, in an odd twist of fate, Hurricane Katrina destroyed uh, the shopping center in 2005. So... <laughs> Some crazy where, stuff. Where did you read that story at? Uh, that was actually on IMDb. Oh, uh, okay. Got it. All yeah. right. Uh, it yeah. is, uh, I, I didn't dive too deep into it, but I did note on Wikipedia that you know this affected Mississippi, this uh, affected uh, Louisiana, Florida. Uh, but uh, August 17th was the most important day that where most people suffer the most, where most places suffer the most damage from. Yeah. Uh, so the episode is accurate in that, the date that it takes place on. For sure. Yeah, and also accurate in that the stock footage that it uses is uh, mostly, as far as, as I'm aware, is mostly actually from Camille. It's from the, uh, Larry Ganey noted, because I posted a thing saying that we were recording tonight, that he remembers this episode mostly from uh, the fact that they reuse a lot of that same stock footage in Magnum PI, right. So actually, this would have reused that, yeah. the, this would have reused the footage because Magnum PI was before this show. But yeah. hey, if it, you know, if it um, exists, on a on a, on a more you know, personal note, if you will, one thing that's interesting about Camille is that there's a play, a uh, rather famous play by Beth Henley called Crimes of the Heart, uh, where Hurricane Camille plays a huge part because the play is set five years after Camille in uh, in Mississippi, um, and the uh, the three sisters within the play uh, talk a bit about it here and there, um, including a couple of the, the male characters that, that come in. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because Jessica has actually been in that play twice uh, in the role of Babe. Um, and uh, yeah, it made me think of that when I when I was watching it. I was just sort of like, oh right, this is the hurricane that that they talk about in Crimes of the Heart. Wasn't the the one production like shortly after Fault Lines, which is the show that we met on? Yes, because I remember like yes. seeing that on Facebook and like, oh, I want to go, and then you know, life, you, you life happens. Right, you know, no, yeah, to go. It, that, that's 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 what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, a little. There's a little historical background there, just on Camille. Um, and, you know, it's worth noting that in addition to this episode of Quantum Leap and the play that I just mentioned, there are actually a number of uh, uh, novels and, and television shows and films that actually use Camille um, as a backdrop. And, and, you know, just I think that that speaks to um, the impact that the hurricane 
you know, had on, on, on this country and, and kind of on our, you know, tapestry when it comes to disasters. It still ranks fairly high up there almost 50 years later. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting because in 1991 when this episode aired, there had just recently been a hurricane that had done quite a bit of damage up in the northeast. Um, and then uh, less than a year later, of course, Andrew would hit, um, which was, you know, nearly more devastating than Camille was. Um, so, you know, hey, that's it's, that's it's the price of doing business with Mother Nature, I guess, you know. I mean, we, we, we've seen quite a few of them recently, just in the past 10 or 15 years, and um, I know I have strong memories. Uh, I was actually studying in college um, and, and had a a class where a professor was talking about Katrina before it ever hit and about how bad it could get. And, you know, we didn't quite understand that. And then, of course, when it actually hit and seen it, it was just sort of like, wow. And and, and it drove home the idea, you, you know, we were taking this class on historical geology and, and, and this professor who, you know, had studied these sorts of things for years and, and, and just sort of that if a college professor in Indiana was able to predict how bad this was going to get, you know what I mean? It's like, sure. damn, why wasn't anybody else listening? And, you know, but anyway, um, so, so yeah, there's our hurricane talk. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, let's uh, dive into the episode. Uh, we get a little bit of a, a slap uh, stick leap in with yes. uh, uh, Sissy is helping uh, Lisa get packed up. Sam leaps in holding a cat. Um we got to get out of here. There's a hurricane, and the Sam shouts, hurricane, and then phew, newspaper smacks him in the face. And I think we get an oh boy from underneath. We do. Underneath Which is interesting considering the we get an oh boy from underneath something else of an entirely different Later sort of the end oh of this episode. <laughs> we'll get, yeah, we'll get yeah, there we'll get at there. the end. But uh, um, yeah, that, yeah, the oh boy took me by surprise at the end of the episode. It's You know, it's funny because I the, the, the opening scene, you know, even after the initial leap in in the credits, um, um, it does lend itself to a more comedic tone. And the relationships between the characters are not firmly established, uh, which I liked because it... You, you you know you the viewer kind of feel like Sam you don't know what the hell's going on um, you know who yeah. are these people what's he doing what's you know oh there's a storm a hurricane oh okay um, and then you get the hint before Lisa leaves that there's something you know or that had been between the two of them uh, you know Sissy obviously seems to be playing an interesting part here but it's really not until after Lisa leaves and Sissy and Sam are driving back that we start to get you know, a, a more clear picture painted for us. And so we go through those opening sort of moments really being as much of a fish out of water as Sam, and I, I liked that. <laughs> fish out of water. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, f- I feel like, and I don't know if I can, like, put my finger on a specific moment, but I feel like t- kind of touching on what we did last week with Play Ball, is Sam is getting better at improvising still. Totally. In those... In those moments, I'm not really not, not quite knowing. Like when he recommends where Lisa should go. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember, yeah, I can't remember the exact dialogue, but he is saying, like, such generic yeah. advice. Right. <laughs> yeah, you should well, do you should do this and that. And, and, with yeah. a hurricane coming. A hurricane and, coming, know, get away, drive get, inland. Yeah, yeah. drive inland as fast as you can. can. And, yeah. <laughs> that is. Uh, and what I... Um, 
what I find most interesting about this opening scene is also getting the dynamic of Sissy and Archie that they've just they've recently met but they've started a pretty hardcore romance pretty quickly and how very much Sissy is into Archie and I can't remember another instance on the episode where we had a relationship that was kind of already established before Sam leaped in there's nothing antagonistic about it because a lot of times when Sam gets romantically involved with a woman on a show there is a antagonistic quality to it like a hunting sure. go or her charm but there's oh, none yeah. of that in this episode she is just very genuinely into him yeah um and she's also very um you know she's very open about her sexual attraction to him and it is a very healthy thing which is another thing I don't think we sometimes get on the show yeah it's a very very good point especially for a a, a, you know an unmarried couple uh, or a couple that isn't like living together necessarily or you you know what I mean like it is it does seem to be a little bit different than what we would normally get um, from from characters it's yeah it's just it's a different relationship overall you know, um, yeah. I mean, there's a yeah. There's there, there's a there's a moment later on where Sam and Al are talking, and they're talking about when Sissy's going to get killed, and Sam is making something about uh, he makes some comment about like, well, we just got to do it. We just got to go back earlier to do it. Yeah. And she walks in on that, and she cracks a joke. Well, if we wake up any earlier to do it, then we might as well not go to sleep at all. And it's just like, I don't know why I find that moment so cool. It's yeah, just like, it's, yeah. you know, it's a very, uh, like I said, it's a very healthy, sexually positive joke. Right, right. Like I said, because a lot of times when Sam is romantically involved with someone on a show, she's either in distress or it's an antagonistic thing. And it's not just like a perfectly healthy relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's either, it's it basically the relationships that we have seen nine times out of ten with Sam are either, you know, moonlighting or, or night in shining armor. And that's, yeah. and that's it, you know. Yeah. And, and that's, a, right. that's a great way to, to, <laughs> to, to more perfectly summarize it. Uh, so this is, this is definitely a, a different kind of relationship. Um, but speaking of different kinds of relationships, Lisa, um, you know, as the episode goes on, we learn more about the nature of their relationship. They used to be a couple um, that it feels like it might have been you know, not necessarily long term, but certainly a, a while. Um, and that they split up, and that part of the reason why they split up is because Archie fell for Sissy, um, which is also really interesting because they don't paint that as being something bad or wrong. You know, so often I feel like, um, especially at this time, uh, you know, in the, in the late '80s, early '90s on TV, that any time a character was with someone and they left them for someone else that was painted as a bad thing, you know, um, when the truth of the matter is, obviously, depending on the way it's handled, uh, could be a very positive thing, you know, for everyone involved, quite frankly. Um, and so I, I, I think that that's kind of another interesting note about the relationship. Um, you know, Lisa ends up being kind of an interesting character, um, but one thing that I wanted to mention that we kind of talked about briefly earlier is that she has this moment where she looks at 
Sam slash Archie and starts talking about the color of his eyes being different. The reason I bring that up is because in a couple of the things I was reading online, on Al's Place, on the forums, on the MacGyver Project, they all mention the fact that, you know, oh, well, you know, at the party, of course, he's making those comments because he's drunk, and, you know, we know that, that that can sometimes lend itself. The thing is, is Lisa's not drunk. Now, the only thing I can think How of How do you is, know? Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. But the only thing I could think of is maybe that they were using that as, like, some sort of clue that she was unstable, mm. uh, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know exactly how I feel about that, but clearly there is something... Like, she clearly has some problems, quite frankly. Sure. Um, and, 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 you know, as will be exemplified by sort of the climactic scene. But uh, I did think that that was an interesting moment because all I could think as I was reading some of these things is, Lisa's not drunk. I mean, I even went through that same kind of thought process sure, that you just did. Sure, Maybe yeah. she is drunk. But I'm just like, no, I don't think Lisa's drunk. Um, so I don't know that you can easily write off the fact that people are maybe seeing Sam as just because they're intoxicated. Uh, so I did think that that was an interesting moment. I don't. What, what did you think about that, Dennis? Uh, that's an interesting tidbit. I never really thought about. Is it the fact that she is mentally ill? If that's the reason why, I just, it's interesting because like we know that Sam is truly physically there and surrounded by the aura, and so it just occurred to me like rewatching it this time is it maybe just sometimes the the aura slips a little bit. Sure. Like sure. a like a mask slips, and especially yeah. like if you're getting like right up in someone's face and looking them in the eye. And if you, especially if you know the person, and if you're in the middle of a hurricane, yeah, maybe, maybe it's like a, a perfect, uh, a perfect storm of things. Well, you know, and I'm reaching here. I'm totally reaching. But it's it is funny because Sam has that line later on about how uh, in the narration about how the hurricane was like Mother Nature taking out, you know, uh, some sort of punishment on on the earth. And uh, you know, I, if one wanted to draw some sort of um, line between the two connect the dots that that perhaps mother nature is is is, is having problems with sam and then is just sort of like you broke my rules by traveling around in time damn it <laughs> there, uh, oh god yes i want to talk about this but i'm gonna to try to do it as spoiler free as possible there is a time travel story that i love okay. and i'm not going to say what it is because this comes later in the story okay but there is uh, a change in time happens that is so significant that when the protagonist travels back to the present, aside, in addition to the world being in shambles, yeah, just every few minutes there is just like this groan mm-hmm. that passes through the sky. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to another character and he's trying to get his bearings. He's trying to figure out what exactly has happened. And the other character says, it's like, no one can figure out what that is. Scientists can't figure out what that is. They think it's just the world maybe tearing itself apart. Mm. And we know it's because he's made a change in time so significant that the world is literally tearing itself apart. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's on that. yeah. I mean, because one of the things about Doctor Who is that they, they you know, exploring, um, you know, how the Time Lords got time travel and, and you know, how TARDIS is... Are, are possible and that sort of thing. One of the explorations that kind of got made uh, specifically during the mid-90s with the novels and then uh, was picked up on and used a bit in the, in the new series is that, um, is that you know, they had to basically rip apart the fabric of time and space in order to get the secrets of time travel. And in doing so, 
um, you know, unleashed something upon the universe that was never supposed to get through. Mm -hmm. uh, and that when the TARDIS actually travels through time and space, and the reason why it has the weird sort of wheezing, groaning sound that everyone knows, uh, well, anyone who's seen Doctor Who knows anyway, is that it's it, that is sort of symptomatic of it of it actually physically ripping through, you know, time and space. Um, and of course, as as things went on, the, you know, the time lords would be able to control the the, the vortex more, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, yeah, it's it's it, 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 it's something that I think a lot of time travel stories don't necessarily talk about. You know, they certainly they talk about like butterfly effects here and there, and like oh, if I change it, what you know, that sort of paradoxes, etc. But thinking about the consequences in a you know sort of like a physical manifestation and the, and the consequences it would have you know, on, on the universe and on, on the earth and on, you know what I mean? Like what, what would that really do? And I mean, it's all speculative fiction, sure. of course, but still it's just, it, it is kind of an interesting thing when that does get touched upon. That said, I don't necessarily think that that's what Chris Rupenthal and Don Belisario and crew are doing in this episode, but, no. uh, you know, interesting digression nonetheless. Sure. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, you know, we, we, we get our introductions to Lisa and Sissy, and then uh, Sam and Sissy are driving back to... Um, Lulabelle's? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Unibel, right? Unibel, that's Unibel? it. Yeah, yeah, which is an interesting name. Uh, and um, during this time, too, you know, Sam's having to do some more improvising on the uh, the CB radio with uh, the other <laughs> yeah, cops, which, yeah. is, which is priceless. Mm -hmm. um, and... This is when they actually, when they go to the party for the first time. Sure. Um, which, God bless those people, they just want to stick around, ride this storm out, eat their barbecue, drink their margaritas, and pretend it's all just a big party. Oh, God, I, I don't have any frame of reference. I have never been in any situation close to that. So I don't, I, I have a feeling I would be very much of the mind of, ooh, we're packing up and getting the hell out of here. Yeah. Instead of bunkering down. I, you know, the thing, living out uh, where I did in North Carolina, um, you know, I heard a lot of people talk about Andrew because um, even though we lived a good, you know, almost 200 miles inland, um, that hurricane was so bad and, and the winds and the rains were so bad that it, reached inland that far, you know, knocked down trees, power lines, floods, storms. I mean, it was horrible. Um, but no one evacuated because they're 200 miles inland. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that said, you do see, you know, sometimes the, the news reports and the videos of these people that stick around and you always have to ask yourself, it's like, why did you stick around? Like, you live mm -hmm. on the coast. We're not talking about somebody who's living inland. Like, you live... A good hundred feet away from where the ocean touches land, and you're sticking this out, and you don't have to. That's the other thing. It's like sometimes these storms hit in certain places where people don't have a choice; they can't get out. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like, why do you? I mean, how is that? Is it arrogance? Is it? Is it some sort of weird sense of adventure? Is it? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. And this is, yeah, it, it's a weird sense of adventure of, like, living on the edge. Let's see what happens. Right. Which is kind of insulting to the people who legitimately, for whatever reason, whether socioeconomic or they're, they're physically disabled or whatever, that yeah. they literally cannot leave. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. We, meet these, we meet these fine people at the party. Yes, we do. 
Yes, which sets, uh, sets up an interesting episode later, uh, an interesting situation later in the episode, which I don't think we've had uh, in previous episodes. And we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. But anyway, so we get back to Unibels, and we are introduced to the family, who are just delightful people. Oh, yeah. Like, like, I don't think this episode needed to be any longer, but if it were a longer episode, I would, I would love to see these people. I would love to see a version of this episode where there is no adventure. It's just a family... Yeah, hunkered down in the middle of a storm and just, you know, telling stories and maybe a little family drama breaks out and they resolve the whole thing that, you know, was around for years, blah, blah, blah. But there's, in the middle of the episode, there's just a nice short little montage of the family spending time together. Yeah. Of, of the, the eating grandpa cake eating and, cake yeah. and the grandpa telling stories. I think the kids are playing checkers or something like that. And it's just a nice little moment where in another version of this episode, I would just love to have just hung out with the family yeah, stayed there during for this hurricane I completely agree and I think that one of the things that the episode does very well um, which is funny considering what I said about the opening scenes kind of making you feel like you don't know who these people are or what's going on is that once we do get that everyone else who enters you know the picture uh, for any length of time feels you know oddly established and lived in um, you know, I don't, I, and I don't need any more time, but like you, I would have been happy to have that. Uh, and I think the episode does a wonderful job of packing a lot in, into its short amount of time. Whereas in some ways we get episodes that leave you wanting a little more to the detriment of the episode. This can give you a scene like this and leave you wanting more. And it's a positive. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get around. Uh, so Sam gets back to the house, and Al comes in. Uh, Al's depressed. Al's depressed, and because him and Tina are fighting, he has this nice little line, like, you know, when life is so short, why do people fight some? And this one bugs me about this. I didn't realize it until after the end. And I may have missed this in the final scene of the episode. Does that ever get resolved? No. No. Never. Because, like, in previous episodes, like, that would have been resolved. Yeah. And I wonder... If it was written and it just got cut for time, could be. Or it, it's just like this is a reason why why Al comes in at the beginning of the episode, why he's a little bit depressed, he's a little bit down. And I think after that first scene, it's not brought up again. No, it's not. Uh, it's it is interesting though because Sam and Al share a moment here where they're kind of exchanging lines. It's almost like it's a bit mm-hmm. uh, that's really interesting. It doesn't really get expounded on any either which which I thought was kind of interesting um, but in the context of knowing what we know from the leap back it does make you kind of say like well yeah of course they're fighting she's sleeping with Gushy <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah uh, and so maybe let, let's talk about Sam and Sissy yeah let's do because they do. because you know we you know we've talked a lot about in the episode about informed consent and blah 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 and especially in this case because it's not like a usual episode where Sam and the woman are practically strangers and the woman and the person that Sam leaped into are practically strangers she thinks she is making out with Archie right who she knows who she loves even though they've only known each other a short time together she really thinks you know she thinks she's in you know, making out with him. Right. So not only do we have the usual moral dilemma that we talk about, whether or not it's okay for Sam to be intimate with her, we know from two episodes ago that he is Donna. Yeah. Waiting back yeah. at home. And despite this, 
uh, later on in the episode where they go into the closet, like Al is fully encouraging this. Like he has that he has a look of lust on his face that we have not seen since that one scene in All Americans when he starts giving Sam shit about thinking that he was still a virgin at 16. He's got that fire in his eyes that we haven't seen in since that episode. Like, he wants Sam, forgive the crude term, to get some. In, you know, but in, but in spite of that, in a very weird moment, and I knew he wasn't going to because that's not the show and it never has been the show, but there's this moment where he's like, Sam, Sam, don't forget, and, like, there's this pause, and it's like, in my mind, knowing that this was never the intent at all, unless it was some sort of weird subversive thing that Stockwell did with the line reading in order to be like, the producers don't care, but I do. But there's this moment where I'm thinking, like, is he going to say, don't forget Donna? Like, again, I knew he wasn't going to. I knew that that was never the intent of the script. I knew that that was probably not even Dean Stockwell's intent. But the way that he gave that line reading, there was a part of me that's just kind of like, yeah, you wonder. Like, looking, say it. Looking, looking at the show through a 2018 sensibility and how we do TV shows now. Yes. Yeah. But but it is interesting because Sam has a couple of lines throughout the course of the episode, um, including when he looks at her and says, "You know, if she was the right person, I'd marry her in a couple of hours." Mm-hmm. Um, because it's worth noting that the Devers, who are celebrating like an anniversary. Uh, uh, got married after they only knew each other for two weeks. Yeah, um, and so Sissy asked Sam about that, and, and, and Sam's like, if "She was the right person. I'd marry her after a couple of hours." And the way that he says it to her, it's like, is Sam is Sam developing feelings for Sissy? Like, does he look at Sissy and see like this amazing person? Because he's very into the making out, and they and they 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 kiss quite a few times over the course of this episode. Sure. And he gets very protective of her, and he's very encouraging, wants her to, like, go on to, you mm-hmm. know, be a psychologist and, and, and go to school and, you know. And that's the thing where, where, where Sam is playing God a little bit because he doesn't – he never asks Al, like, what happens to Sissy and Archie. Like, I mean, because right. we know what's going to happen to Sissy is that she is going to die at the end of the episode. She is going to be killed by the storm, supposedly. Right. But he doesn't think about should Sissy and Archie be together. Yeah. Like, he's kind of, you know – He's playing for him, and he's not playing for Archie. Right. But, of course, we know uh, from the plot that, uh, yeah, Sissy's going to get killed by the storm. And that's why she is here. Because originally she's not killed at Unibel. She is killed somewhere else. I can't remember right, where, yeah, where she else goes, she was. Uh, yeah, I can't remember either, honestly. I know that she goes to... Um, uh, yeah, she goes to somebody else. Does she go back to her house? May, yeah, see, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, she goes back, back to her house, house for like clothes or something because like there's that. a scene or something. Yeah. And so, I, I will ask you this: Do you think in the original history, she was killed by Lisa there at her house too, or genuinely killed by the storm? I think she was killed by Lisa. Yeah, yes. just because, yeah. It, just because, yeah. The, the the fact that every time Sam does something that seems like it would prevent it, it still happens. Yes, it okay. makes me think that. Yeah, it makes me think that it that it was always Lisa that she's coming back. Because um, we do have that scene earlier where Lisa comes back and yeah. just says like, "Seeing you, can we have dinner? Can we?" Uh, yeah, right. So yeah. Uh, you know, this might be a good time to briefly because um, yeah, I have I have notes this week. Uh, since we've been introduced to all the characters, to briefly go over some IMDb stuff, sure, um, yeah. get to know some of these folks just a little bit more. Um, but you know, first and foremost, Sissy is played by Marilyn Jones. Now, one thing that I, I, and I, 
I have to be careful the way I say this. Um, I appreciate the fact that Marilyn Jones is not a, you know, late 20s, early 30s, you know, ingenue, mm-hmm. like so many of the, the female leads that come into Sam's life are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marilyn Jones, at the time this episode, was actually in her 40s. Um, you know, more age appropriate for Sam, might we say? Um, and uh, it's funny because her very first uh, credit was actually in the Elvis Presley movie Speedway, um, which she's not the first person on Quantum Leap whose first credit was in an Elvis movie. Uh, in fact, I think That's we right. had somebody yeah. who was in Speedway just a couple weeks ago. Um, she was also in a couple of episodes of Mash, Remington Steel, Hardcastle, and McCormick, Magnum PI, um, MacGyver. Um, Highway to Heaven or Quantum Leap of God. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, I you know I've said this before, but honestly, yeah, I mean honestly, when I was a kid, I, I I watched that show. My my grandmother in particular was a big fan of that show, and she liked Michael Landon a lot. But anyway, uh, she also did Matlock and Murder She Wrote. She hasn't done anything in in a while, um, according to IMDb. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I amassed quite a, a lot of credits from sort of the late seventies and through the mid nineties. Um, Lisa is played by Tracy Collis. Um, her first four credits on IMDb are all soap operas. Not just soap operas, mind you, but, like, the four big ones. As the World Turns, Another World, Days of Our Lives, and One Life to Live. Uh, she'd have, uh, extended run on All My Children. She wanted to do The Equalizer, NYPD Blue, uh, and had a quite, um, recognizable role in an episode of Seinfeld as well. Um... Which I was reading, apparently, uh, the episode of Seinfeld that she's on, she has the Southern, the southern accent in that episode as well. Uh, okay. Um, with people, with one of the commentators wondering if that was her natural accent. Hmm. I don't know that it is. But anyway, um, I know, Joe Deaver. Yeah, it almost feels too put on, but it, uh, but at the same time it feels like that could very be it. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, Joe Deaver is played by James Morrison. Um, I, his IMDb bio, I just have to read uh, the <laughs> yes, opening line I, Yeah, yeah. A filmmaker, playwright, poet, actor, singer-songwriter, and yoga teacher, One James of the... Morrison was born in Utah and is a product of Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> That's hilarious. And you know which one of those pays his bills. Oh, yoga. yoga instructor. Yoga, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> actually, he's he's quite prolific uh, and has done quite a bit of work over the past thirty years. Um, I think that any you know genre fans would probably know him from uh, Space Above and Beyond, um, X Files, uh, Millennium, uh, Twenty Four. He had a very lengthy run on Twenty Four as Bill Buchanan, um, and then he was also in the most recent uh, iteration of Twin Peaks. Um, he's got quite a few things kind of in the can getting ready to come out. Um, but yeah, very, very active, lots of stuff on there. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think, um, maybe not quite as much in this episode. Um, but certainly the way he looks now, he's very recognizable. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, if you see him now, you'd be like, Oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Devers played by Bill Irwin. Uh, he did unfortunately pass away in the year uh, 2010. However, oh, it was we were at the doing age so good. 96. Yeah, okay. Uh, That's so fair. So you can't be too too sad. That's allowed. Uh, his career began in the 40s. In fact, when he was making this episode of Quantum Leap, he had already been acting for 50 years. Wow. Um, he did all of the Western TV shows back in the 50s and 60s, and I mean all of them. Like Have Gun Will Travel, Paladin, Bonanza. Like you couldn't you couldn't throw a rock at a Western show and he wasn't in it. Um he would also do four episodes of the Twilight Zone, 
Uh, he was in The Untouchables, Perry Mason, The Fugitive. Uh, had a rather memorable role in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, he would play Santa Claus in an episode of Who's the Boss and an episode of Highway to Heaven. Uh. <laughs> um, he gets our Star Trek shout-out for being in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Remember Me. Uh, that's, okay, yes, that's yeah. That's where I recognize him from. Okay. He also did eight episodes, count them, eight episodes of Growing Pains, and he played a different character in every single one. God bless America. <laughs> uh, Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and his final role came in an episode of My Name is Earl in 2006. Okay. The man was working when he was 92 years old. Wow. And I saw, because Monk came up earlier, too, and he was in yeah. the episode of Monk. Did you ever watch That's that right. show? No, I ne- well, I might have seen bits and pieces, but I never watched it really. It was a very delightful show. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know the premise of it at all. Uh, Monk, played by Tony Shalhoub, who most people know from Wings, right? Um, he is a used to be a police detective. Now he's a private detective, and he has extreme OCD, which they never fully explained. I think like he kind of had mild OCD. Before his wife died, but then his wife died, and his wife was mm. murdered. And so the ultimate, like, overall arc of the series was him ultimately trying to figure out who killed his wife mm. because it was an unsolved mm. murder. But along the way, he helps the police because he has this brilliant OCD mind, but he's also very OCD. Sure. And so that's where a lot of the comedy of the show came from, and it's Tony Shalhoub and... Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I would enjoy it. I, 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 I feel like it's probably got a, a common, you know, bone in the skeleton with uh, another one of the USA detective shows, which was Psych. Um, yeah, which I, mm-hmm. really, I, I really enjoyed quite a bit, actually. Um, in fact, I was surprised how much I liked it. Um, Ma Ma is played by Barb Townsend. Um, her career actually began in 1949. Uh, she did unfortunately pass away in 2002 at the age of 88. I'll allow um, it. The uh, she had honestly like it's funny because her career, even though it began in 1949, um, and she worked up until like the late 90s, it, it was very spotty. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like she'd go, like, five, six years without something or, you know, and just do something here, there, here, there. Um, the thing that stood out to me as I was looking at it, though, is that she played Mildred Potter. Yes, that just jumped out of me, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things, like, most people have, have heard her, her, her character referred to a lot because she was always referred to but never seen on MASH. But then after yeah. MASH, if you're unfamiliar, after MASH uh, took place back in the States, and it revolved after around... Mash. After MASH. <laughs> which was a play... It took me a while to get this, too. It's a play on Aftermath. Yeah. Uh, uh, it lasted two seasons, somehow, uh, but it revolved around Colonel Potter, and, of course, back stateside, he teams back up with Father Mulcahy and yeah. uh, uh, Jamie Farr's character, Max uh, Klinger. That's Klinger, his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's, it was no Trapper John MD. I was just getting ready to say that. Um, wasn't there another? Wasn't there a third one? A third spinoff? Uh, 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 I think Radar briefly got his own. Spin-off. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Gary Berghoff. Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, so there you have it. After Mash, um, Mark Lejeune um, is played by Richard Grove. He's of course our party man. Uh, also had Lois and Clark on his resume. 
uh, Matlock, L.A. Law, and just recently, uh, last year, was in Star Wars Imperials, which was a, a, a short, um, I, I'm not sure what it was on, or what it was included with, but anyway, uh, so he's still, yeah, he's still working, still doing quite a bit, um, Again, oddly enough, was more recognizable to me in the picture I saw of him, what he looks like now, as opposed to what he looked like in 1991. Um, not that he was, like, super recognizable, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'd definitely seen him in something. And I'm pretty sure it was, it was, um, no, actually, now I don't mm-hmm. know. But anyway. Um, Unibel is played by Marjorie Lovett. Uh, she had X-Files and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, as well as ER, The Practice, American Dreams, and most recently, uh, an episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, in 2006. Oh, okay. She was also in Tootsie, and she's only the sales girl, but I know exactly the scene that she was in, now that I think about it. Nice. Have you seen Tootsie? Sadly, no. I don't know. You know, I feel like that's one of those movies, like, it's really problematic now, especially what we know about Dustin Hoffman now. But it's, it also has a movie, uh, not a movie, but also it has a musical that's in pre-Broadway mode right now, too. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's there's a scene early on where he's taking on his persona in the movie, and he's shopping for dresses as his alter ego. And mm-hmm. there's one sales girl who's like, you have to buy this, you look great in this, not the other one, you look frumpy. And it's just a really short scene as a part of like a montage of like him getting his outfit and becoming... Uh, Dorothy Michaels, which is his alter ego. But, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, that is, uh, if nothing else, just for film history, that is a movie definitely worth your time. Well, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is like going back to what you're saying about Dustin Hoffman, it's like you, you'd have to be crazy to erase like The Graduate or Rain Man or, you know, any number of yeah. films. His, his turn in, in uh, Death of a Salesman. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I, you, you, say, you say whatever you want about that, the, the, the actions or, or allegations or whatever, but, but to discount these incredible... I mean, The Graduate has literally been woven into the tapestry of American history. Mm-hmm. Um, not just film history, but American history. There's, you know, there's not a person out there that, that wouldn't at least know, even if they don't even know that it comes from the fucking movie, that wouldn't know Mrs. Robinson, you know, mm-hmm. who tried to seduce me. Or so. so it's like, it, it, it's, it's insane to me that anyone <laughs> would even want to... Uh, anyway. Well, I, um, I, feel, I, feel, I feel more it's the plot of the movie more so than Dustin Hoffman, but... Sure, but sure. Anyway, it's also, it's a really interesting movie is that there was, there is very little comedy actually written into the movie. Mm. The comedy comes from the editing. Oh, okay. It, it comes from how they cut out of one scene into the next one. Uh, with the exception of Bill Murray, because he's, he's just Bill Murray. He's Bill Murray, yeah, exactly. What, yeah. What, what, else, what else can you say? Yeah. Um, so, uh, the final, final person uh, of note here is Mr. Bob Hamilton, who plays the mirror image of Archie. And his IMDb is composed of... Quantum Leap, Quantum and that's lead. it. <laughs> and let's not forget, not even listed on IMDb, but an honorable mention, Bofus. Bofus. Bofus the dog. Oh, and Simon and Garfunkel, the cats. Yes, that's right. Which brings us right back around to The Graduate and Mrs. Yeah. Robinson. <laughs> and um, boom. So, so there you go. There's our IMDb uh, corner for, for the week. Um, but bringing us back to the episode... Uh, you know, it's been firmly established by this point, the relationship between Sissy and Sam. I think that 
there's there's definitely on my part there was a little bit of uncomfortability and it had less to do with the fact that Sissy you know is obviously in love with Archie and yet is making out with Sam and more to do with the fact that I for some reason it really stuck out to me because it's in such close proximity to leap back that he is in essence even if it's in ignorance uh, you know of his own ignorance cheating on his wife yeah, unless, and this crossed my mind, unless we're in some weird time flux where Donna, That's, that Donna is not there. Yeah, that uh, is, you, you can, yep. yes, yeah, you can kind of allow for that, but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, it's one of those things, and we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Journeyman, and it, and it made me. I uh, wanted to go back and, and watch the show, and it's it is fairly hard to come by uh, on, on DVD, and it's not available on Blu-ray. Um, the much like with the Doctor Who DVDs, it's actually cheaper to order the if you have a region-free Blu-ray player to order the the UK version of the DVDs. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, one of the things that made that show uh, interesting is the fact that you know he was well aware of what he was leaving behind every time, you know, he took travel through time. Yeah. You know, his, 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 his son and his wife. And, um, and, and I think that it's a, a layer that they really missed the boat on playing with. And I understand that Belisario in particular really wanted to have a more episodic television program that it was never really supposed to be about any sort of overarching mythology or whatever. But man, if if you know in the history of missed opportunities with Quantum Leap, and let's face it, there are a few. This one might might kind of take. The and case. the thing is, like they, you know, they didn't really have to do a whole lot. It could have just right. been Al acting uneasy whenever Sam is making out and being intimate with Sissy. Yeah, and that's all you needed, because from Donna's director from the Leap Back. He's not going to tell Sam. He's not going to interfere. Because I really think this is one of those cases where if he was standoffish with Sissy, that would have been detrimental to the leap. Now, here's, here's, here's the question. And, mm-hmm. this is, and this is, man, I mean, I, again, I know this was not the intent. Mm-hmm. But talk about some sort of weird male ego fantasy trip. Sam gets to go and be with whatever woman he wants to be with as he travels through time. But I have no doubt that we are expected to believe that Donna remains chaste while she waits for him at Project Quantum Leap. Um, why do we have to believe that? Well, we don't have to, but let's sure. face it. Like, this is not an open relationship. This is just, uh, he has my blessing to do what he needs to do in order to set right what once went wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't see. I just don't see, especially from a 1991 mentality. I just don't see. You don't see. All right, this one. I. This is it, it, being a fan of this show for over 25 years. This is this this this, this has never crossed my mind. But imagine, <laughs> imagine this alternate scenario to the end of the leap back. Oh dear God! The scene plays out exactly as it plays out, and then they do something physical that lets you know. That Al and Donna have a physical relationship. Oh man! 
I don't, I, you know, I don't know that that's a, I, I don't know that that's a line that even Al would cross. Oh wow. God, yeah, that wow. would be, yeah, that would be going places. But anyway, anyway, uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, about Joe. We know that Joe and Sissy had one time been a couple. Now mm-hmm. it does seem as though that that relationship was fairly short and did not overlap or lead into the relationship with Archie. That no. it seems like it was something that was over, whereas the relationship with Lisa that Archie had seemed to be a little bit longer mm-hmm. and seemed to, you know, if not overlap, lead into the relationship with Sissy. Um, we get a very clear picture painted with the scene where they talk about the previous hurricane, you know, when they were like seven years old, that this is, that they know each other, you know, they've known each other for a very long time, and it's handled really well, and I feel like, you know, James Morrison does this wonderful job of playing Joe Deaver with an appropriate amount of sort of, like, jealousy and, and almost a hint of menace, but never lets that override an otherwise just normal guy. He does let Bofus out later yeah, on. Yeah, he does let Bofus And to out. me, that just... And the thing is, like, I think that's that's the last scene that Joe was in. At least featured in. Like, he may be on, like, and like yeah, family things. Son thi- of a bitch. He, may be, he may be in family things. But to me, that was just, like... That was such, like, a low-key bastard thing to do. Yeah, you're right. And, and the fact that they never come back to him after that, it, I, I kind of like that. Because, like, you are such a worthless POS. Right. To let a dog out into danger to get back at your ex girlfriend. Screw off. We're not even going to come back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, you know, and it's and it's it's another one of those wonderful little triggers that leads to even more tension within the episode because then Sam has to stop Sissy from going after the dog. Sam decides to go after the dog. Uh, in going after the dog, that's when uh, he gets called back to the party, and Alice telling him, "If you go back to the party, you'll never make it back." Uh, to, to Unibel's in time in order to save Sissy, and, and it's, you know, leads to some pretty intense scenes when he goes back to the party, and he's trying to get everybody out, and eventually takes out his gun and I'm, just starts <laughs> firing off rounds. That's what I like, because, like, not, I mean, we, I mean, we've seen before, I mean, as, as, as goody two-shoes and milk toast as Sam can be, when Sam needs to fire a gun, he blows away two bad guys in MIA like it's nothing. He yeah. blows away Vietnam soldiers and Lee Poem Part 2 like it's nothing. When yeah. he needs to fire a gun, <laughs> he got his training on the farm, I guess. I don't know. Right? Uh, no, I know. It's it's interesting. It's, you know, and, and it harkens back to uh, Honeymoon Express and setting up that whole thing yep. that Sam's never killed anyone. And that's one thread that I really did enjoy that we've not, that, you know, I, I think since Freedom has just never really been touched upon before you know when when the, the grandfather looks in his eyes and says you've killed men before but um but yeah he just he you know he pops off a couple rounds and 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 immediately you know people start evacuating or whatever he's done the job he saved those people he gets back in the car to rush back to unibel's at this point lisa has returned i, I, I want to point out I, I love the line where he's, he's getting pushed out the party goers like you're one mean son of a bitch yeah well i just saved your life so get the hell out of here yeah <laughs> i love yeah. that yeah but to, to to jump back before we get back, um, when Sam has the moment in the car with Al where he has to make the decision, mm. I don't think we've ever had that situation set up on the show where Sam has to make a choice, save this yeah. person or save this, and ultimately, 
even though like he ultimately has an attraction and maybe like you know uh starting off feelings for for sissy he chooses the group over the one yeah to save yeah yeah and and i think that chris rupenthal has said in an interview apparently that with this particular episode and writing this episode he really wanted to try to do something some different things things that they hadn't done before um you know the hurricane Mm-hmm. You know that 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 element of the story, not specifically a hurricane, but just that element of the story. Sure. Um, and, and you can you can sense that this sort of you know choosing one or the other was probably another one of those elements that he wanted to do um, something differently with. And I think it, it kind of it, stuff like that really does help with the overall success of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we get back to to Unabels and yeah. This so is this is when uh, we yeah. So this is when we we learn how. Sissy really dies. And how desperate Lisa is. Yeah. The interesting thing is, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Al say, even as recently as when he's in the car with Sam, that Sissy's going to be shot? No. Oh. No, because it, it's, it's... He does always... say that at one point in the episode that Sissy's going to be shot. Does it? Huh? Yeah. I missed that. He, yeah, yeah, I, he, I, I, always, I always thought it was like she got struck in the head by a by an object in the storm and well, also and the, also her watch got smashed and so that's how they know the time of death right 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 i could have swore at some point maybe uh maybe i'm just going crazy but anyway besides the point, um so lisa when she came back the first time um the scene between her and archie plays out very well sam rather played out very well because Sam is not overly dismissive of her. You know, mm-hmm. he actually shows her a good deal of compassion um, while also being you know, fairly forthright in saying that, like, no, that that's over and now I'm with mm-hmm. Sissy. Um, so that when she leaves, I do feel like it is somewhat unexpected to see her back. I think it's... it, it Not entirely. But mm-hmm. I do think that it's one of those things that does play as a bit of a nice surprise as opposed to being, oh, yes, of course, now she's come back to, to kill Sissy. Mm-hmm. Of this is coming from the guy that couldn't remember that Lisa was the one that killed her in the first place. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, that would have been a nice subversion of the expectation. But here's why when Lisa comes back, this is why I figured out why this episode works for me. It's a genre episode because Al drops it earlier on when he's talking about Joe and how dangerous he is, he makes the line that he's the guy that 20 years from now they're going to be making blockbuster oh, yeah. movies about. Right, and so right, you right. brought up Fatal Attraction earlier. I know the general gist of Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've never seen it. But uh, I do remember there were a lot of made-for-TV movies sure, probably inspired by the success of Fatal Attraction, but also based on real-life stories of men who were stalkers um i remember uh, a couple very specifically like one was a miniseries and the other one i think was just like a one night movie uh starring uh, nancy mckeon the woman who played joe on uh facts of life totally, and, yeah. and dale midkiff from time tracks if you watch oh, that one um, also played elvis presley and elvis that's movie. right yeah uh but that oh. <laughs> but that one was based on a true story and that was it, it's a very brutal movie very hard to watch because she he he hurt he physically hurts her in a very 
way. But the yeah. reason at the, the end of the episode when Lisa shows back up, I figured out this is a low key genre episode of that. Mm-hmm. This is the stalker movie, just with the twist that instead of the man, it's the woman. Sure. Yeah, I, I you know I'm going back and forth because I, I read some positive criticism about the episode in particular about uh, Tracy Collis's performance as Lisa. Um, and maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace or whatever. I don't know. But as I was watching the episode, I wasn't really bowled over by her. Um, and I and I did feel like I did feel like the last scene with her and Sissy was very like all I needed was some soap opera music. You know what I mean? And, and it was. Um, I think it's very hard for for it to work for uh, for, for Tracy Collis to do. She's only in three scenes. Yeah. First scene, second scene. She doesn't get a whole lot of time to build up her character. Well, and that's the thing. And that's the thing. Whereas, why I'm conflicted because in while I'm thinking about it post. Those again, I really liked those first two scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, the very first scene uh, of the episode, and then the scene where she comes back, the scene where she has with Sam. Like, I really liked both of those. Um, still, maybe you know that second scene was maybe a little soap opera or whatever, and mm-hmm. maybe part of it is it's like we're just seeing this woman become a little unhinged uh, uh, and, and driven towards this ultimate conclusion of this is the only way that I can get what I want or whatever. Um, which is another thing that's interesting is if, if Al would have ever said something about how, like, uh, actually Archie ends up back with Lisa after Sissy dies, or, you know what I mean, or talked a little bit about that, mm. it would have been kind of interesting, uh, perhaps. But but in this scene, you know, obviously there's the physical fight between... Um, uh, I will uh, say it's a, it's a creepy moment when she puts down the smaller knife. Yeah. And she picks up the bigger knife. Right. And this is, where, right, uh, this is a, a moment of TV that's always stuck with me. Here's one for you. I'm going to give you a soap opera connection, and I'm going to give you a Star Trek connection right here. Oh, boy. Here we go. Um, John DeLancey, who famously played Q in the Star Trek universe, I first knew him from a character that he played on Days of Our Lives. Mm-hmm. And he was a character who was a little mentally off. And I don't remember the exact details of it. I just remember this one scene between him and an older woman, like an elderly woman. And the elderly woman had given up some information about him to authorities that he didn't like. And so they're having this scene, and he's wearing kind of like, almost kind of like a members-only jacket kind of thing. And just very nonchalantly, he was like, you talked about it. And he just unzips the jacket, and he pulls out a huge butcher knife. Oh, my God. And then I don't remember, but the scene cuts away from that, and then later on we found out, yeah, he did kill her. Yeah. Um, that's what I was reminded of watching this scene. Man, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it gets pretty brutal. I love, I do love the moment where Sissy's watch gets smashed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the close-up from the camera. I mean, maybe it's a little, you know... On the nose, yeah. On the nose, but yeah, but it still, it works very well. Um, when Lisa grabs the, um, the, the log, I guess, or whatever it is, sure. that she's going to hit Sissy in the head with, which will obviously be the blunt force, yeah. the, the, the thing that makes everybody think she died in the hurricane. Um, it's also really interesting, quite frankly, to see a fight between two women on a show from 1991, like Quantum. I had thought about that. Yeah. Um, and they do, they, I mean, they go at it. Like, this isn't just like, this isn't just like, uh. 
you know, I've got a knife, but I'm chasing you around the couch. I mean, like, it's a <laughs> physical fight you now. Yeah. Um, and then Sam runs in, of course, and tackles Lisa, uh, saves Sissy. And this is where we go from, like, this is where it gets sad. Yep. And this is where I'm really, really glad they didn't go another way. Because Lisa, in her desperation, her anguish, her her struggle, decides to turn the knife on herself. Yeah. And Sam, of course, stops her. Yeah. Um, even after having had to pull a gun on her. Even after having Al yell at him, shoot her, Sam, yeah. shoot her. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm really glad no one died. Same. Because I um, almost feel like in a more 2018 sensibility, the way that would have worked is we would have gotten, you know, resolved the fight. It would have been focused on Sam and Sissy. And then off camera, Lisa stabs herself. Right. And she either dies or there's a drama to save her life. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad that they didn't go there. What I do love leading up to that before it becomes fully known, at least to Sissy, what Lisa's intentions are. I don't know why. I just love where like Al is on his hand link. He's like, talk to me, Ziggy. What's going on? What? Oh, no. What the fuck? You know, I just love that just like little. (laughs) Yeah. That little thing that, that Al does. It's interesting to me because I there were I almost expected at one point for him to like pop out and, and, and go to Sam and just be like, Sam, get back here, you know, and he doesn't do that. Um, oh, they could have done one of those comedic moments where like in Portrait for Troy where it says, center me on Sam, and then he just jumps two feet and Sam bursts right. through the door. <laughs> That's that, that is true. Not a time for uh, a comedic moment, but sure. Best part of that whole goddamn episode. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> How do you feel about Portrait of uh, Troy? Uh, look, look, we love Quantum Leap. We love yeah. Quantum Leap. I own, you know, I own the book. I own the DVDs. I got it all. But, but mm-hmm. it's funny because um, I, I mentioned this. I think last week I've been watching uh, the X Files, and um, in my desire to kind of fully immerse myself, I know I, I didn't feel like listening to any podcasts. I know mm-hmm. that they're out there, uh, just like the truth is. But I decided. <laughs> I decided to maybe look for, like, a book, because I, I used to love those guides. You know, I've got mm-hmm. a couple Doctor Who ones. Obviously, I've got the Quantum Leap book, the Beyond the Mirror Image by Matt Dale, which everyone should own. Uh, and uh, I promise you, he doesn't pay us. Yeah. But anyway, I was looking into some of them, and uh, I saw a couple, one of which was actually written by a, a guy who had written about Doctor Who before, uh, and another was written by a pair of authors, you know, bloggers, basically, for lack of a better word, who work on um, the AV Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the criticisms that I read of each book were people talking about, you know, do they even like these shows? I think you have to be a fan of a show or like a show in order to critique a show or whatever. And I just started thinking to myself, I was like, look, I understand why a fan might be upset if someone takes a piss out of their favorite episode or whatever, but in our discussion of Quantum Leap, after however many episodes we've been doing this for now, there are some episodes that we've come down on pretty harshly mm-hmm. you know there are certainly flaws in in a lot of episodes that we talk about but overall like we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if we didn't love it and weren't incredibly passionate about yeah it. no we'd have shifted the, the we'd have hung it up or shifted the focus of the podcast or something but it was yeah, yeah. but there is another podcast i would listen to and i'm not going to say what the name of it is right but they are covering a movie franchise and as they go I am starting to question, like, do you even like the movies? Right. And I'm like, or did you think you liked the movies, but now that you're sitting down and you're really analyzing them in such a way that you have to present your opinions to an audience, 
Maybe you're realizing you never, you just like the idea of these movies. You never really like these movies after all. And I'm, and there's, I, 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 sometimes I wonder if there's a whole subgenre of podcasts out there of fans who start out rewatching a movie franchise or a TV series. And by the time they get to the end, they realize they never really liked it as much as they thought to begin with. Sure. Well, I think also it's fair to say that our sensibilities change. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, as, as much as Hollywood uh, may like to rehash uh, old franchises and old films or, or, you know, do sequelitis or whatever the case may be, play in the big sandboxes that we've got with, like, the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, etc., the Harry Potter Cinematic Universe now, the, the truth is that oftentimes you'll find that they're still kind of moving the ball forward in a lot of ways um, and appealing to... to audiences in different ways. I think, I, I, I think quite frankly, the James Bond franchise is a perfect example of that, you know, and that's not to say that those older films don't hold up. I mean, some of them are, are quite fantastic and a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Problematic as fuck, but still, there's still, there's still, there's still fun to watch. Um, that's, that's the name of our next podcast right there. <laughs> problematic as fuck. Yes. There's already one out there called your fave is problematic. But we're going to be problematic as fuck. I don't think we get on Apple Podcasts with that one. Uh, probably not. Uh, yeah. You know, anyway. we could use the little, little the things. Sure. Whatever, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, 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 I do think that uh, that it's okay to be critical of something that you love, and I think to to truly be critical of something, you must love it. I think you know, Grill Marcus, uh, the rock and roll critic for Rolling Stone, uh, amongst others, uh, he once famously, you know, he extolled the virtues of Bob Dylan's early records, you know, till the cows came home. Talked about, you know, Blonde on Blonde as, as, as being like, you know, the apex of, of all music, that nothing was ever going to get any better. And then when Bob Dylan released Self Portrait, the first line of his review is, what is this shit? And I think that that's a perfect example, because it's like, Grill Marcus loves Bob Dylan. Grill Marcus has continued to write about Bob Dylan, even, you know, nearly 50 years after that review where he said, what is this shit? And I think that if you didn't love something, if you weren't passionate about something, it would be hard to be critical about it. Because then you're just hating on it the whole goddamn time, you know? Uh, You know, I, I don't know about that because I see a lot of people on Facebook ripping apart stuff that they were never fans of to begin with. I'm sorry, I forgot about Facebook. Uh, and they're, well, yeah, I mean, I'm just like, I'm just talking about like in general. Like, that's where I'm getting sure, my sample no, know, people. I yeah, I see people on social media ripping apart something that they never liked to begin with. And you know what? Like, we're, we, we don't just have like, you go see the movies on Saturday and you have three networks that present the thing and you have a limited option because you have, you know, publishers can kind of control like what books are out there. We have unlimited entertainment options right, now right. we have streaming we have multiple networks we have multiple tv shows if you want to read a book it's not just what the publishing industry controls like anybody can self-publish their books if you don't like something if it's problematic if it needs to be brought down a notch whatever blah 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 but if you just don't like something for the sake of not liking it and you are spending time talking about it screw you drop yeah. that thing and go find something that you like right no, I know. Well, that's what I'm Welcome saying. Welcome to my but, TED Talk. But that's what I'm saying is it's like you got, you've got those people out there that are just hating for the sake of hating something. You know, they, they hate watch these things or whatever. I'm talking about people that are truly passionate and love something but are still willing to be able to be critical about it. And there's a huge difference between being critical of something 
you know, to actually offer a, a, a you know, a critique, you know, and hopefully that's something that we're able to do on this show as opposed to just, you know, bashing something for no good reason. Because I don't see, because to be completely frank, I don't see a hell of a lot of intelligent conversation about art on Facebook, unfortunately. You know, especially when it comes to film and television. I see a lot of people talking about why they, you know, love Game of Thrones or why the writers are stupid. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see a, a, a lot of that, that depth. And, and, and I think that, I, I guess that the point I was trying to make is that, yes, I might be saying something that's critical about Quantum Leap, but that in no way diminishes my love or my... Thing for my passion for the show. The thing is, like, case in point for this particular episode, I came into watching this episode. I'm just like, oh, God, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't know what I want to find to say about this episode because it's not sure. like it's not like so bad that you can talk about that. I'm just like, ah, I just, it's a stock footage palooza. I don't know. But then by the end of watching the episode, I was actually appreciative of the episode because of all of the elements that we talked about, like the, uh, the the healthier relationship that Sam gets set up in with a woman, the fact that it is, it does kind of play into the genre of, you know, what, like Al says, like all the movies that they are making in the late Mm -hmm. 80s, early 90s. So I had an appreciation for this episode by the end of it. I agree. I, you know, the, the, the weird thing is, is I had fond memories of it and there was something about it that I always liked. And I think that it has, like you said earlier about style, I think there's a style to it and an atmosphere to it that, that does stick with you. And, and it's something that drew me in. Um, you know, I think that it's a very, it's, it's a well done episode. I don't know if, if I would, uh, you know, agree with the assessment in my head that I had a week ago about the episode, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But that is in no way saying that it's not a good episode and that it's certainly not one of the stronger sort of like, you know, standalone episodes that we've seen in quite a while, quite frankly. You know, I, I think that it, it, as far as being sort of like your your, your standard quantum leap of the week, uh, it, it, it works very well and um, and is able to kind of still, you know, have some really nice moments and pack some, some punch here and there, including, of course, the moment after everything is over and after you know the hurricane has has kind of passed Mm. that moment where you know sam and sissy are talking and al is telling sam that lisa is going to be you know okay you know a couple years she gets out after some treatment and she you know leads a productive life and all this sort of stuff and sam starts encouraging sissy to go into you know psychology and go back to school and all this sort of stuff and how she doesn't really necessarily believe in herself and you know, thinks it's crazy to think that Sam could think that she could help Lisa, and he's like, maybe, you know, I'm not talking about Lisa, but I'm talking about people like Lisa, maybe, you know, you could, and, and, and obviously has an impact in that way, so I, I, I think that overall the episode just, it does play really well, and, uh, I always enjoy those leaps, much like, um, um, So Help Me God, mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, the, the whole point, of course, is to, is to hang around a little bit after the crime, but no, it's not, the point is, is that after he, gets that not guilty and gets her exonerated, he gives her the reader so she can learn how to read. Yeah. And, and, and and to me, that's the best moment of that episode. And in a similar way, I think one of my favorite moments of this episode is when Sam, you know, kind of helps to give Sissy kind of that push in the right direction to, to, to say, hey, you can go do this. Sure. So here's a question for you. Oh, boy. Do you think in the time between the storm dying down and the moment that we get to do you think Sam and Sissy slip off somewhere? <laughs> In other words, you try to say, did they get up a little earlier? Did they just not bother going to bed at all? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. You know, 
I didn't think of that at all. But considering what I thought about, you know, right hand of God, uh, at about Sam sleeping with, uh, the Marilyn Monroe lookalike, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. I didn't think of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of it. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, it's just weird. Cause like I said, I was so, Donna was very present in my mind as I watched this episode mm-hmm. and, and, and it was a lens through which I had never watched the episode before, frankly. You know, never, I mean, as a kid, like, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, you know, even into college, like, it was just something that I kind of just accepted. It's like, yes, I know, I know that episode where he leaps back and Donna's there and, you know, she kind of gives permission for him to, to go off and do the things he needs to do in a way. Um, and it never bothered me. And now for some reason, I, as I was watching the episode, I was just kind of like, I'm not as into the making out as, as I might have been yeah. in the past. <laughs> not, yeah, not to be flipping about it. But to me, a lot of it is like, uh, you know, the great reset button that we talk about a lot. Oh, sure. The, yep. Like the out of sight, out of mind thing kind of thing. Totally. And I guess maybe it, 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 it's like, yes. Donna says that it's okay, but clearly, like, I kind of get the idea from the way it's played. Like, it, it obviously it does hurt her, but she has to make the choice to be okay with it because what the hell else is she going to do? Right. No. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in 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 a in a healthier, I don't know, modern way. Like, I don't know how if they were to remake the show and kind of present this dynamic. Like, how do you have this healthy dynamic of like? Yes, they are married, but they have this open marriage, and she completely understands what Sam needs to do. And, you know, there's this understanding that, you know, she, you know, when she needs to have her needs met, she goes to have her needs met. And I don't know. No, I, I completely agree with you, actually. I, you know, it's one of the things I was thinking about before we started the episode is that uh, I, I still am fine without there ever being any sort of reboot. Um, mm-hmm. But if that were to happen, um, and obviously, like we said, I think that you know we get episodes that would take place more Project Quantum Leap sure. than they would as Sam travels the time, etc. That if we were to see scenes of Donna, you know, maybe even pursuing these sort of like casual, you know, one night stands kind of deal with what's you know what's going on or whatever, it would be very it would be an interesting layer to her character. Um, yeah, and I, think I, I mean, she doesn't have to go far. I mean. There are a lot of elite scientists who work at Project Quantum Link. Right, yes, of course. But I anyway. would draw the line at Al. I would draw <laughs> the line at Al. That would be... That, oh, <laughs> you know, there's some fan fiction out there. Oh, dear God. Go ahead. I'm um, sure there is. Yeah. Oh, there's some Sam and Al fan fiction oh, out there. So, yeah. uh, but I just not have sex with a hologram. I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, but then that... Uh, but then that also just bring around, like, whenever Sam is intimate with anyone during the course of his leaping... Uh, it's kind of problematic because, uh, yeah. Well, cause, and again, yeah. I think that I, I, I think because as you know, as, as, as hugely plot driven as say a show like Game of Thrones is, that uh, you know it succeeds because uh, of the character work that's done, um, and, and and you know specific specifically, I think with like. Um, the Lannisters in particular. I mean, I think that, you know, Jaime and Cersei and Tyrion really get um, probably a, a little bit more depth 
quite frankly, than some of the other characters do, as much as I might even prefer some of the other characters. And that's not to say that the other characters aren't well-rounded and, you know, three-dimensional, etc. It's just that I think that, honestly, when it comes to the character work that's been done in those three characters specifically, it's really fascinating um, to kind of dig into their motivations. And maybe that's because they are at times painted in such a negative light, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cersei in particular. Anyway, the point is, is that I think that... Quantum Leap made today would get more of that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with a show like Lost. You know, the first season of Lost is very little about plot. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on, don't get me wrong, but it is almost exclusively about who these people are, where sure. they came from. Yeah. And that's exactly what Quantum Leap would be. You know, it's like, who is this guy? Why is he doing what he's doing? Uh, you know, whereas it took us two seasons to, you know, to see... Tom and 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 you know Beth and etc cetera, etc cetera. like that would have been something that probably front loaded into the show uh, now yeah um so that said I think that it would be interesting to examine also Sam's character having moments where perhaps he does remember Donna you know mm-hmm. um, alongside what he's what he's having to do and having to make choices based on you know maybe remembering her. Mm-hmm. Um, We've gone off into a crazy fan way. We have, and, you know, oh God, we have. An, an, an episode that I was convinced would be like a short episode has, has, has of course, ballooned to our normal 90 minutes, so that, that's here how, we are. That's how they always do. Uh, before we get to the to the leap out, uh, some other uh, listener shout-outs. Uh, Diane Green, she commented, uh, uh, yes. one, that the, 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 the eye thing in, in this episode has always... Uh, uh, weirded her out, thought it was weird. She also, uh, in a separate post, she posted that um, uh, that uh, her and her fiancé had taken a break yeah. from watching the show. And as it continued the fifth season, her fiancé said that if it got any weirder than Sam leaping into a chimp, it was over <laughs> with. So is vampire weirder than chimp? I put it in the group, but I'll put it out there. Chime in. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? What do you, what Vampire? Do you think? Yeah. Chimp. Chimp, yeah. Which is weirder. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And also, uh, Jeremy Osborne, he committed the cardinal sin. He wrote out the name of the Halloween episode online. If we, screwed. If we don't post up in time this week, then yeah. Uh, it's all Jeremy's fault. <laughs> yeah. He also made the comment that One Strobe Over the Line is a very special episode. Yes. Uh, and Rosen commented, yes, yeah, is. we never, like, what one strobe where that expression came from. And it, I think someone it, uh, someone commented, like, it's, it's it's a play on one toke over the line. Yeah, we talked about that oh, in, uh, in the episode. Oh, did we? we? Yeah. I, I, we, even sang, we even sang a quick bar, you know, one strobe did over we? the line. We've, re- yeah. we've recorded so many episodes. We, we I are, know. We've done a lot, man. We are several episodes in. So that said, should we get into the leap out? <laughs> Yes, we should. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Look, I think that you know, Matt comments in his book about this, and, and, and I think he's absolutely right. One of the things, of, of many, frankly, that Quantum Leap does so well is tackling racism. Um, you know, we've seen, again, high watermark episodes like Color of Truth, So Help Me God, Black and White on Fire. Uh, and Justice, which is going to be the next episode, will be no exception. I knew what was coming. You know, it's like, I knew what the beginning of the episode was. I, I remembered this leap out. Of course, how can you not? And it still unsettled the hell out of me seeing all those it, fucking white hoods, man. Oh, God. And and I've forgotten how they, they kind of tease you. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to Sam. Right. They kind of tease you like... 
like maybe he's black, right? And this is not—I mean, it's not great either way. But this is going to end in physical violence for him. How brilliant is it, though, that instead of being the victim, that Sam is in essence has leapt into the villain? This is not something that we've seen a lot before. Yeah. And when he gets that hood put over his head and he utters that, oh boy, much in the same way as he utters at the beginning of this episode when the newspaper flies in his face. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a very different oh boy. It's a very different one. I, I, I kind of want, like, I, it's, this is one of those moments where oh boy feels really inappropriate. Yeah. I, I almost wanted silence. I could think, yeah, there could have been silence. I can think of a number of expressions. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I switch places with Al? Um, Why did, oh God. Um, so I'm interested to talk about this episode. I was just jumping ahead and looking at the, at the credits. Um, Justice was written by a writer named Tony Graffia, and it's really exciting. Uh, She is, she's not on the show any longer, but she was an executive producer on Outlander. Oh, nice, okay. Which is another TV series, uh, another time travel TV series. Um, And she was also uh, co-executive producer on Grey's Anatomy and Alcatraz, which I wasn't familiar with. Um, oh, and also Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So I, that show's underrated, in my opinion. I never. Like got, it was never. It was look. I, it was never a great show, but I still think it was underrated. I, it's one of those, I, anything time travel. I would be interested in it, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm now. I want to go back and revisit the the Outlander episodes that she was uh, that she was involved in. Yeah, because uh, uh, Betsy and I, we are huge Outlander fans. I think we mentioned on the show before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about justice. Uh, I, there are uh, a couple of scenes specifically that, that stand out very vividly in my memory. Um, that for a, uh, you know, 12, 13 year old boy watching this episode, I, I honestly, uh, for lack of a better word, felt very empowered by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, felt more willing to stand up and be outspoken mm-hmm. um, about things, in, including the use of a particular word. Sure. Um, which, at the time, you know, living in North Carolina, I, I, I heard a few times. Oh. Um, right. and, and not that it's exclusive to North Carolina by any stretch. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. I really, really am. I am. So to, so to bring it around back to, back to Trump, where we started the episode... <laughs> Uh, I I tried to watch this episode after I got the Blu-rays, yeah. which was shortly after Trump took office, and I just couldn't do it. I got ten yeah. minutes into the episode, and I just had to stop. Uh, but that being said, when the uh, when the first Muslim ban was passed, uh, a lot of people were posting on Facebook, and I did this myself. I posted a Bible verse as a way of arguing against the band a band band not band um (laughs) and one of my high school classmates who is now a minister he commented on my post and then he made his own post on his own page that that people should not do that people should not quote the bible to promote their political agenda (sighs) and we had a little back and forth 
And ultimately I asked him, is like, have you ever told a conservative person to not do that? And he never responded. Yeah. And I think that was his answer. But anyway, so as a post on mine, I said, fine, you don't want me to use the Bible? I won't use the Bible. I'm going to use something else that was just as important to me when I was a kid. And I <laughs> quoted a passage from Justice. Nice. And I'll share that next week. And I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Tune in. Yeah, I have a feeling next week's episode is going to be a very special episode of Fates Wide Wheel. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah, we should talk off mic about how we want to approach that. Yeah, lots to talk about, about. Yeah. All right, but for now, we should probably wrap up here. We are. We typically record on Sunday afternoons. We're recording on uh, Monday, Monday night. night. It's a school night. And uh, just that's right, school night. I gotta. Get, I gotta go to class tomorrow. I gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 20 years ago. <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Yes. We appreciate thank you so much. It. And uh, tune in uh, next time for for justice. For justice. That's right. Uh, oh, and one other thing. I hope everyone is having a very happy holiday season. Oh, yeah. We Hanukkah started uh, last night. And, um, you know, of course, we're, we're ramping into uh, Christmas and... Uh, you know, uh, winter solstice and, and lots of reasons for celebration and kindness and 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 putting a smile on one's face and in spite of all of the stuff that Dennis and I sometimes talk about, it's just worth saying that you know we hope everyone is in, enjoying and celebrating the holiday season however they choose to and um, yeah yeah happy holidays thank you for yeah and if you're listening to this way into the future. Hope you had pleasant holidays in 2018. And you know what? And even if it's not the holiday season, just celebrate. Be just happy. celebrate. Do a little jig. Be Why happy. Not, Do a know? jig. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Mueller investigation is getting close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Also, I just have to say, for those that cannot see us right now, that Dennis and I are wearing shirts that are literally the exact same color with the exact same colors on them, but could not be more different. No, Mine is a Chicago Cubs World Series Celebration Championship shirt. His is a kitschy uh, Lincoln Hamlin 60 as an 1860, which is a shirt I bought at the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois, on vacation this past summer. I love it, but it's true. I'm sure you, you were both the same shade of blue. Yeah, you you know the 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 graphic on it is is red and white. Graphic on mine is red and white. It's it's, it's, it's it couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, we gotta talk yeah. about like setting up a Twitch stream so people can watch us live. We'll figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, you know, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Have a wonderful week. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you real soon. All right, talk to you soon, y'all. Thank Bye. you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments. Don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to stay.